This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Somebody painted your gray skies blue. Do I wish it was me? Hell yeah. Am I all the way over the pain? Not yet, but the sun keeps coming up, baby, and I'm still breathing. And there's no heartbeat. Hey, this is Steve Balton. Welcome to My Turning Point, where this week I had a lot of fun talking with Matthew Ramsey of Old Dominion. Really fascinating and fun conversation that shouts out everyone from the great Gladys Knight, who's on the band's new album, Time Tequila and Therapy, to Bruce Springsteen, who Ramsey got to meet, which I hate him for a little bit, but I'll forgive him, Steven Tyler, and so much more. Really enjoyed this conversation, so hope you enjoy this one as much as we did. So are you all recovered from CMAs? It feels very weird to be talking to someone and be like, oh shit, you went out. What was that like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. We're, uh, we're actually in Palm Springs now. So we just took right off. So, but uh, pretty good. Uh, dude, I'm in Long Beach where it's going to be 90 today. So is that 115 in Palm Springs? Uh, it's pretty hot actually. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. <laughs> so are you guys playing there this weekend or what takes you to Palm Springs? Yeah, we have a show tonight and tomorrow night here. Nice. All right. So you're back out on the road. You're living life like, uh, yeah. Yeah, man. It's, it's like back to normal for us. We're, we're hitting it hard for sure. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Here's a tip for you, by the way, because I've been to 17 out of 20 Coachella's. Probably my favorite Jewish deli in all of California is in Palm Springs. If you get a chance, you guys should go to Sherman's Deli. Sherman's Deli. All right. I'll tell the guys for sure because... Uh, they'll hit that up. I know Brad will for sure. <laughs> nice. All right. So how'd the CMAs feel the other night? It's funny, you know, I, so, look, I've had this conversation with a billion people, right? Literally a billion artists in the last, you know, year and a half, everyone from Stevie Nicks and Willie Nelson to David Guetta, you know, and when things change so drastically, it makes you appreciate them in a different way because it's just, look, as an artist, you two or 300 days, 200 days a year, maybe you take time off, but it's voluntary. But when it's forced on you, you're like, you have to decide like, oh, do I really miss this or screw this? I'm going home, dude. So for you guys, <laughs> did you find that you did really miss it? And if so, you know, how much fun has it been to, you know, be back out there doing all this stuff? Yeah, we absolutely missed it. I think, you know, when it first happened, we were sort of looking forward to a little break um, already. We were sort of looking for a lighter year anyway, and we kind of were at a point where we needed to take a breath, but then we literally only thought it was going to be a couple of weeks, just like everybody else. So um, once it started to turn into this big question mark, then we started to get a little uncomfortable, and uh, we really missed it. That's, you know, our whole career is really built on two things, um, songwriting and touring. And, and you take that touring away and the ability to sit face to face in a room with another person and write a song, 
we were really left with nothing. So um, it's really, it's been really great to be back and, you know, to step on that stage at the award show and see everyone there in one room and, um, you know, have a, a taste of normalcy. Um, you know, it was very familiar and, and very um, fulfilling. Interesting. All right. So now, look, well, obvious question. Since you mentioned the two things you were built on are songwriting touring. Was this a COVID album or pre-COVID album? This was a COVID album. This was, um, you know, we had all this time and then we had all this time away from each other. So we had always dreamt of being able to go into the studio, um, kind of like the bands that we idolized and just spend all day or all night or whatever for however long to just make something in the moment rather than pre-write all the songs and then book two days of sessions and, you know, cut them as fast as we could. We wanted to go see what we could create from scratch. So uh, we had all this time. So we went to Asheville, North Carolina and spent three weeks in the studio uh, writing and recording everything in the moment right there. So when you go back and listen to Time Tequila and Therapy, and by the way, which of the three would you say was the driving factor of this record? <laughs> they were all equally... Um, equally um prevalent for sure there, there was a lot of time um spent um together and apart there was a lot of tequila flowing and uh music is therapy and actual therapy was happening at the time so and still is <laughs> all right so it's funny i also am a big believer in how environment affects writing so talk about being in Asheville and how yeah. being away now do any of you live in Asheville, or was that picked because it's sort of like a close by but not home. It was definitely picked because it was not home. Uh, we definitely wanted to get away from Nashville and away from our everyday responsibilities and distractions, you know, uh, so that we could just sort of immerse ourselves in that creative process. And, you know, Asheville, North Carolina is sort of this creative sort of epicenter. There's a lot of great creative energy there and this beautiful studio um, that allowed us to just kind of go be there in the moment all the time. And, you know, they had a, a great little house for us to live in. And so it was easy enough to get away from Nashville, get back if there was some sort of emergency, but far enough away that we could really just be there and live and breathe the music the entire time. All right. Now this question has come up of late a few times and I love this question and I cannot take credit for this question. But actually, the credit goes to a combination of Billy Corgan and Zane Lowe, who are both friends. And Zane was asking Billy about the band's success in the 90s. Uh -huh. And Billy, being an asshole, who's also my friend, a really funny uh -huh. asshole, was like, uh, he's like, I don't know, man. He's like, it's a combination of the right water, the right drugs. He's like the right chicken piccata. So then when I was talking with Wolf Alice, we talked about being in, a, in Belgium and the food there fueling the album. So the point of all this long-winded preamble is, what was the food that went with the tequila? What was the Asheville culinary that propelled, propelled the album? Well, that's actually funny. Uh, the food did propel the album, uh, in, some, in some cases, in a major way. Um, we have a member of our crew, her name is Kelsey Maynard. She um, is assistant tour manager, and through the quarantine, she learned to cook. And she came along with us, and she cooked big family meals every day for us to, you know, eat together as a band and as a crew, we would all get together and, and eat. And specifically one day, um, we walked in the studio in the morning and she was making a Hawaiian themed dinner. And 
it got us talking about our time in Hawaii and how much fun we had there and how we should just go back to Hawaii. And we wound up writing a song called Hawaii that day because she was cooking this Hawaiian food and it made it onto the album. All right. What was like the, what was the, I cannot talk this morning. I haven't been doing as many interviews lately. I'm not going to lie. It's been great, but uh, so yeah, I'm no. a little brain dead, but what, what was the Hawaiian food? What was like the centerpiece? You know, uh, yeah, you know there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of pineapple and coconut. Uh, I, I remember this really good coconut rice that was like, I was obsessed with. Um, it was, it was, and it was also a coffee mug said Hawaii on it. That was there. Um, but uh, she did, she just knocked it out of the park, obviously. Right, by the way, Carlos Santana, Willie Nelson, Steven Tyler. A lot of people have homes in Hawaii. Are you ever going to ever go record there? And if so, who would be the dream artist who lives in Hawaii to do a duet with? Oh, man. You just named some good ones. I think it would be pretty great to go hang out with Steven Tyler and make an album. <laughs> you worked with one of the all-time greats on this record, man. I mean, when you listen to Gladys Knight sing, I don't care you know, if it's 1978 or 2021, man. It's just like, that is chills. How'd that come about? Man, that was just a serendipitous moment. Um, fell in our lap, really. We had written this song and, and we cut it um, called Lonely Side of Town and sitting there in the control room listening back to it and, uh, you know, thought like, wow, this, this has this kind of great groove and would be really cool if we had like somebody like Gladys Knight on it. And we didn't realize at the time that she lived in Asheville, North Carolina. So... Someone said, she lives right down the road. And we were like, no way. And so we asked the studio manager um, if she knew her. And she said, yeah, I'm great friends uh, with Gladys and her husband. I can give her a call if you'd like. And we said, please do. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and she, uh, she answered and said, yeah, I, I would love to be a part of it. So it was, it was amazing to work with you know, such a legend like that. So was she in studio with you guys when you were doing it? We booked a separate time to come back to to Asheville in December. So we recorded in September, October, and then came back to Asheville in December to work with her in her part. Okay. But did you actually, what I was getting at is, did you get to be in studio with her when she was doing it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All right. So when you're watching Gladys Knight sing one of your songs in person, the person uh, who sang, you know, you're the best thing that ever happened to me, Midnight Train to Georgia, and you're hearing her sing one of your songs. Is that just one of those moments that as a kid you can never in a billion years dream of? Never. Uh, you know, I was sitting there, Shane McAnally and, and I were sitting there with just tears in our eyes because, you know, as a, as a songwriter, first off, you know, it's an honor to get anyone to sing your words. Um, and then you have like a legend sitting there in the studio and she's, she's doing what she does with a song that you created. Uh, it's just, it's hard to even wrap your head around and we just... We just let her keep going. We just watched in awe. You know, we gave her zero direction. Of course, she's Gladys Knight. What do you What do you do? You just let her do her thing and and watch and learn. And that's what we did. That's amazing. It's so funny when you say like, "Oh, someone like Gladys Knight," and then you're like, "Oh shit, she lives down the street." I mean, it's one of those things. Does it just feel meant to be? It was. It was just truly, you know, in the air for sure. That's you know, we chose correctly when when we chose Asheville. <laughs> Nice. You know, it's interesting to you going back for a second. We talked about this being a COVID album. And, you know, look, from a songwriting standpoint, when you go back and listen, because everybody went through so much during this time, like you said, it became a question mark. You don't know what's happening. So when you go back and listen to this record, are there things that emerged in the writing that kind of surprised you that you're like, okay, I didn't even know 
that I was thinking that because also, look, you had more time to go deep. You had more opportunity to go into the subconscious. I use this as an example. I talked to John Bon Jovi last year, right? And he was saying, normally as an artist, you're on album tour, album tour cycle, like you were saying. So you have a deadline to finish an album. All of a sudden, there's no tour. You can sit there and play with it as much as you want. And he added the last two songs that he felt were the two best on the record, but only came about because there was the extra time. So for you guys, do you feel like this record is different because you did have the more time? And are there things in there then that when you listen to it that surprise you? Yeah, absolutely. I think not just the more time, but I think the location played into it too because um, you know there are songs that we wrote out there that we would have never written if if we were in Nashville. I don't think you know if we would if we would have had a booked writing appointment from you know, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. And we had that time period to write our, you know, hit song. You know, we would have never written a song like um, Something's the Same About You. And if we did, it would have never made the album because it just sounds kind of out there and trippy and artsy and, you know, not necessarily a cookie cutter radio song. But the location that we were in and the time that we had and the pressure that we took off of ourselves, um, we just we just explored things, and it was a really um, it was a really creative and magical time. So, next obvious question, because I've talked about this with so many artists as well. Look, you change your practice, and you come up with something that you're really happy with. Mm-hmm. Does this now move forward for Old Dominion doing this in different ways? And if so, where's the next dream location to record besides Hawaii? Yeah, Hawaii is definitely on the list, but um, I think it will be you know, a hybrid. I think it's now a part of our repertoire. I think we could probably do this now that we know what we are capable of. I think we could probably bring that back to Nashville and do it. And uh, we, we have now opened that door for ourselves. And uh, yes, I think we, we would go and record to some other places. We were looking at, you know, a studio in Joshua Tree or, or some places like that at some point. So, uh, or Key West, there's a little studio down there that, that we love. So, you know, I think destination recording is definitely in our future, but I, I think just the way we all made that album together, writing it from the ground up is something that will bleed into our process. And uh, also the other ways we've made records will probably be uh, mixed in the pot. Yeah, obviously it'll be different because you'll be back out on the road. Things will be a little, you know, there'll be a different pace. But it's interesting then as well. Do you feel like as well, you know, look, <laughs> you look at the studies from what happened during this time, right? There were a lot of people who had very happy marriages, grew closer together, and there were a lot of people who were like, uh, no, I can't be with you 24-7, peace out. You right. know. So as a band, do you feel like you guys went that direction of getting much closer? At first, uh, at first no, um, but this album definitely created that for us because we always say the first few months of quarantine was really hard on us because it was like suddenly we found ourselves doing all of the not fun parts of being in a band where we have all still had all the business and decision making, but it had to be done over zoom or text message or phone call. And we couldn't, we weren't on the tour bus together, drinking coffee, laughing our way through these things. And we didn't have the, you know, the payoff of playing the show and getting that release. So it just became very tense for a, for a while there. Um, And we weren't together being creative. So once we got back into the studio, it brought us much closer together in that moment and to finish out the rest of quarantine. 
Yeah, but see, that's so interesting as well because I do feel like as a band, having challenges also in the long run can bring you closer together. So again, this goes back to what I was asking about appreciating it more. Did you feel like as a band that when you guys did sit around the table together in Nashville eating coconut rice, that you enjoyed each other's company more because you had had that period of like, you know, again, you weren't getting to be creative and now here you were getting to, it's funny, it sounds like it kind of in a way, and the Struts actually told me they did a very similar thing in recording their album, takes you back to the beginning when you're a garage band and everything is together. Yeah, absolutely. It was very garage bandy, um, and and we we became much more confident uh, in each other and and ourselves. You know, it's a it's a business of people, you know, that are filled with the biggest insecurities. You know, um, and you need that feedback from each other. So we get back in that room together, and, and we're like, oh wow, we we can do this. We are really good at this. Like this is we didn't get here, you know, on a fluke. We know how to write songs and play music and be a true band together in a room. So it really did bolster our confidence. And so now, all right, you're in Palm Springs this weekend. It's 110 degrees in November, you know. Uh, I don't know what you guys are doing ahead of time, but you're on the stage tonight. Where are you playing in there, by the way? Do you know the name of the venue? Yeah, it's uh, it's um, Agua Caliente Casino, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Hot water casino, they say. <laughs> yes, okay. Wait, so do you gamble as well? I do not gamble, but a couple of guys do. All right. I gamble enough with my life and career choice, man. I, I don't need to gamble away my money. <laughs> Fair enough. I, you know, it's funny. I grew up in LA. I used to go to Vegas all the time. I will not gamble, but I will bet on football because I feel like I know football. So I'll bet on sports stuff. But anyway, all right. I digress. So you guys are at Aqua Caliente tonight. Have you had the chance to do much of the new album live yet? Yeah, we've, we've been working. We've probably done about, I don't know, maybe a half, three quarters of of it into the set at this point. There's a few that we still got to work in, but... Well, now, see, that's an interesting thing as well, because, right, when you do a song live, look, this is especially, this is true in this day and age, right? It's been true for the last 20 years, but it, it just progresses. You do an album, right? You're like, okay, these are our favorite songs. Then the day the album comes out, everybody picks what they want to listen to, whether it's on Spotify or YouTube or whatever. So they're picking their singles. So when you get to go out and do the songs live, you get to watch how the audience responds. So have there been songs already that the audience response has surprised you to? Yes, I think um, in both ways. Like, you know, I mentioned that song earlier, Something's the Same About You. We haven't played that live yet, but we're better because that's one that's getting a lot of traction, you know, as far as streaming goes. So we're going to start playing that soon. Um, And then other songs like... um, song called Don't Forget Me, which is getting a big reaction when we play live. We never really thought, um, we thought that would just kind of be one people go get a beard, you know, <laughs> when we play the new song, but it seems like they're sticking around for it. Interesting. One of the ones I really love is Walking on Whiskey, and maybe it's just because I'm a whiskey drinker, but it's also that like sort of soft rock feel that like, you know, it has a very like, I guess I, I, I for me personally, I found that I gravitated a lot to quieter stuff during COVID. So it has that sort of softer feel. I mean, do you also find, though, that as an artist, when you put yourself out there more, that the audience does respond to it? It's an interesting correlation of the more vulnerable you are, the more the audience responds to it. Absolutely. I think we had to learn that uh, throughout the course of this band, you know, to to not be so guarded. And that's the way you're going to connect with people is the more you open yourself up emotionally and um, lyrically and musically, people are going to respond to it. And our fans have been so gracious throughout our career that they sort of come to us expect that 
whatever the next song is going to be is not going to sound like the, the previous song. So we can sort of constantly push what it means to be Old Dominion. So when you think of those songs like growing up that, you know, you would notice the vulnerability or those artists that you're like, especially now that you're writing your own songs and realizing, well, you've been writing your own songs for a long time, but as you've been writing and you start to realize the importance of opening up, are there those albums or songs that are sort of the benchmark for you in just being like, damn, I can't believe they even said that. I, I mean, the one that really comes to mind is, is the, it's the live um, box set, 75 to 85 Bruce Springsteen, where, you know, you really get, you really get um, a lot of the storytelling and he talks about his father and he really starts kind of telling that narrative of, uh, that's so personal, you know, he's playing in front of a football stadium, but he's, but he's really breaking it down to this very personal moment and talking about his journey. And that really touched me as a kid. And, um, and I think about it all the time. And, um, and I think that's probably one that played a huge role. Well, now that's really funny. So, you know, that album just celebrated its 35th anniversary this week. Yeah. I just, I got a text message from a friend of mine who knows how much that album means to me. <laughs> so he sent me that, you know, Okay, so I was wondering because I've been seeing it on social media. So that, by the way, my favorite artist of all time, my number one. If there's one Springsteen song you wish you could have written, and why? Oof! Oh my gosh, it is so hard to pick one of those. I think. Um, I mean, um, there's a lot of. Uh, I guess the ones coming to my mind is Badlands. I, I think that is just a that's got that fire, you know, and, um, there's so much, um, angst to get out and, but also this sort of joyous feel at the same time, which is always attractive to me is that the rub of the happy, sad. And, um, I think that one is probably in there. I just got to meet him by the way. So that was a huge moment. So. Oh, nice. Where'd you meet him? I went to his Broadway show and uh, and got to meet him there. Very, very cool. I literally have met every living member of Led Zeppelin. I've met Mick Jagger. I met James Brown, but I've never met Springsteen, so I'm kind of jealous right now. Oh, man, he makes it very easy. It's very, it's very good. Do you great. geek out? Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right, we'll make this two-part question, then we'll wrap up on your album. But now, because I asked you about the song you wish you would have written. But, you know, also, he's so amazing with younger artists, whether it's doing No Surrender with Brian Fallon from Gaslight Anthem. Tom Morello's a good friend, and they've obviously worked together years, even before Morello joined East Street. What's the one Springsteen song you would want to sing with him? Uh, I think as a band, um, there would be two songs um, that I think we could really pull off with him that sort of kind of bleed into our world. I think Hungry Heart would be a really great one for us to do with him. Or Dancing in the Dark would be one that I think uh, that we could probably nail with him. All right, so it's interesting. We talked about the vulnerability, and that's what led to the Springsteen stuff. When you go back and listen to Time, Tequila, and Therapy, and both, by the way, Tequila and Therapy do lead to a lot of vulnerability. <laughs> so <laughs> what are those moments on this record that you go back and listen to? You're like, oh, okay, wow. Like, as a writer, that you become really just pleased with the way that you can open yourself up. Because also the other thing about it, too, let's face it, Everyone, as you get older, you get more confident. I told you I can't talk today, dude. You get more confident and more comfortable opening yourself up. So are there those moments now on this album that you're like, you know, five years ago, I never would have said that. Yeah, I think, you know, 
I think even the fact that we're mentioning therapy uh, is is pretty is a pretty big change, at least in the country music culture. So I think you know a song like "No Hard Feelings," where you know we say that's where we got the album title from. The first line of the song is "I took time to kill in therapy," and um, those are all true in my life, you know. And I, I don't feel weird about talking about it. So um, I think that's probably one where you just talk about the process of um, being angry at yourself and the world and, and pushing through uh, whatever it is until you can get to a point of grace. Uh, so I, I think that one is probably pretty vulnerable. You know, you bring up something so important and then we'll wrap up on this, but I mean, you know, how has the response been in terms of opening yourself up and talking about the therapy? Because like you say, that may be something that's not typically talked about in country music and like, I mean, look, I've done this for a billion years. So like Chester Bennington and Chris Cornell were both good friends of mine. And we've seen the effects of what happens in music. And I've done stories on this for Forbes where I've talked with artists about sobriety and stuff. It's not as common in country. But then we've also seen the athletes like Kevin Love or Calvin Ridley just step away yeah. and say, look, I'm taking a break. So for you as an artist, talk about the response and also more importantly, how gratifying that is to know that, okay, look, this potentially can make a difference to someone else who might have been afraid to say something otherwise. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, the response hasn't been overwhelming in either way. It's just I think it's become a more natural thing for people to hear about. And we have had some people reach out to us and, and you know thank us for talking about it and being open. We had a song on our last album called Some People Do that struck a chord with a lot of people. And um, that writing that song is the one that actually got me into therapy and... Um, you know, to, so to be able to talk about that with our fans uh, has been really great. Um, but, you know, it's it's an important thing. I think everyone needs it and uh, and could use it in some way, shape or form. It's just good to to learn about yourself um, so that you can you know interact with other people, especially in this realm, in this career. Um, it can mess with your mind a little bit. So you got to keep it straight. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. That might be the understatement of all time. <laughs> I was going to say it can be a mind fuck, but I chose nicer words. <laughs> yeah, well, someone who's interviewed a lot of people, let me tell you. Yeah, no question. Cool, yeah. dude. This was a pleasure. Anything you want to add I did not ask you about? Oh, you got it covered, man. It's great. Cool. Thank you so much for your time, man. Really appreciated it. Really enjoyed it. Thank you, and, man. Uh, yeah, check out Sherman's Deli. And what? Oh, wait. You guys are doing, you just announced the stadium tour in 2022. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Kenny Chesney. Yeah, it's going to be great, man. Can't wait to get back out there. We've, we've toured with him for, this will be our fourth year touring with Kenny. So um, glad to be, that. that's like a big family reunion for us. But when you go out there and you take these songs to the stadium, man, I mean, that's a, a very different vibe. So talk yeah. about, you know, and especially having been away from it for a minute, the yeah. excitement of going back and playing to, you know, 50, 60,000 fans. Yeah, I think that energy level is going to be through the roof. Um, and, you know, when we first started touring with Kenny, we had one song that was being worked at radio. And, you know, we, we were trying to get it up the charts. And now we have this amazing ability to fill our set with hits. So it's going to be quite a different vibe when we get back out there. Cool, dude. Pleasure. Thanks so much. Yeah, right on, man. Thanks. Hey, this is Steve Balton. You've been listening to My Turning Point with special guest Matthew Ramsey from Old Dominion.
Gearheads know that some projects need so many parts, it feels like you need a whole storage unit just to store them. That's what eBay Motors' 122 million parts are for. Think of it as your virtual parts garage. They've always got the right fitment at the right prices. Use the eBay Motors app or visit ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. When you look into Discover Student Loans, what you see might surprise you. We can help cover your college costs, don't charge you fees, and give you cash rewards for good grades. Ready to apply? Visit discoverstudentloans.com. Limitations apply. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.